What are kids really thinking and feeling? Sometimes it's hard to know. The thousands of letters and emails kids send to Highlights Magazine every year help us keep our finger on the pulse of kids. We think they can also help you. So each week on this podcast, we talk with friends and experts about the things kids share with us and about making a world that honors children's voices. Lean in and listen to learn what kids want their grown-ups to know about being a kid today. I'm Christine French-Cully, and you are listening to Dear Highlights. Dear Highlights, I have a problem Dear with controlling my temper. Your highlights. Your highlights. Thank you, listeners, for joining us today for this episode, our last for season two. I'm joined by Hillary Bates, the producer of this podcast, and we think we have something really special today to share with you. You know, we've interviewed lots of experts in season two who have offered us valuable advice. And in this podcast, over all seasons, we've addressed many of the losses families have experienced during this time of uncertainty. And some of their losses are quite serious. We've talked about divorce, the death of loved ones and grief, back to school challenges, all the things we find ourselves helping our kids cope with. And what we've heard from nearly all our experts is this, there's never really been a more challenging time to parent in our lifetime. And there's no definite end in sight to this pandemic. Even families who've been fortunate enough to escape the loss of loved ones or loss of jobs or income have still had the experience of having their lives rearranged and expectations modified. We thought checking in with some Highlights families about their experiences of parenting in a pandemic would be a fitting close to this season. So Hillary, I think uh, we've collected some amazing stories of parents who are worrying and who are finding hope and optimism. Chris, you know that I love expertise. And also the other thing that really restores my faith and hope is connecting with other parents and hearing that some of the challenges they're having are the same as mine. And also hearing that they're finding ways to feel optimistic about their future and their children's future. And that is just how I felt in conversations with these Highlights parents today. And I'm excited for people to hear them. Yes, we often say that kids need to have their feelings validated. They need to know that what they're feeling uh, is not unique to them. And, you know, we are the same way. Uh, Parents need to hear. They seem hungry to hear that what they're feeling is normal and is a shared experience. We're all kind of in this together. And there's so much support and learning that we can um, draw from talking to one another about our experiences. Absolutely. And speaking of learning, I want to tell our listeners, too, that on this last episode of season two, we absolutely loved the chance to connect with Highlights families and hear how they're thinking and doing. And if you, a listener, have an idea for a topic for our next season or you have a story to share, we invite you to reach out to us. You can reach Chris at her email, which is christine at highlights.com. Or if you prefer social media, you can find Chris on Facebook at Christine French Cully, or you can find me on Twitter at at Highlights Hill, just with one L. We love to hear from you. We're going to be back with new episodes on January 11th of 2022, and we have some really exciting guests that are going to join us for this season. 
If you like this podcast and you're willing to give us a review where you get podcasts, it helps us to reach more folks with stories of how to make the world a better for kids. Um, so we don't ask every episode, but since this was the, the end of the season, I thought I would make sure and get that plug in. And please reach out to us anytime to tell us what you thought about a podcast, what you'd like to hear more of. We love the dialogue that we get to have with parents. I'm really grateful we've had the chance to meet so many interesting people, all in service of children. So let's get started. Let's hear what families have to say. Beth, thank you so much for joining us to talk about parenting this year. Can you tell me a little bit about how you've been living during the pandemic? Sure. Um, So right at the beginning of the pandemic, I actually had a baby. Um, My first baby is amazing. And now, of course, he just turned 18 months old. So um, I was living in Maryland with my partner, Paul. Um, He and I have been raising this amazing little man and we're pregnant with our second baby who's due in January. So we'll have had both of our babies during the pandemic. Um, I've been very lucky to be working from home um, for the for the vast majority of the pandemic. Um, I was, of course, on maternity leave for the beginning of it, back in the office, and then switched jobs. Um, and then my partner and I actually made a cross-country move um, and moved to a whole new state, a whole new place. And um, now we're kind of working through, um, he's going to the office every day. I'm still working for the company I was working for previously, but entirely virtually and um, raising our little guy and um, looking forward to the next one being here soon. Wow. You've had a lot of new beginnings in the middle of all of this going on in the world. Um, What is worrying you about um, your little one and the one that's on the way? Well, I think any parent would probably tell you um, it's probably a shorter list to say what isn't worrying me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, So, you know, there's a huge list. I I, Honestly, I think the biggest thing for me that is a worry every day, um, we just put our youngest or our um, now will be our oldest um, in daycare for the first time. We weren't doing daycare previously. Um, And so he's exposed to all kinds of things, um, which happens for any parent that's going to send their child to daycare. Um, So my biggest concern almost all the time is how to keep him healthy and not just from COVID, but from everything. You know, we've only been in daycare at this point for about two months and we've been through RSV. We've been through um, some virus that I can't pronounce. (laughs) We've been through four ear infections and multiple rounds of antibiotics. So I think any parent will tell you that if they have a child in daycare, like it is a constant struggle. Um, And of course, not only is my son sick, but we're getting sick too. And of course, being pregnant, it is, it is super unfun to be sick. Um, So with, with keeping him healthy, you know, it's, it's not just about, um, I want him to be healthy because of course there are some good things about him being exposed to some of these germs right now. Like he's going to get exposed to them at some point, whether it's now or in kindergarten or whatever. Um, but really for me, it's more about, um, my, my work life that's impacted because I'm now completely out of vacation. I'm completely out of sick time. I have no time left and I want to be the best at my job. I, really care about my employer and want to um, give them my best. And it is very difficult when 
at every turn, <laughs> I'm dealing with another ear infection or um, or needing to send him home because we're just in this climate right now where we can't have sneezing um, at, at daycare, which I, I absolutely understand. Um, but it is a huge pressure and it, it makes me worry every day. How am I going to have enough to afford to send these boys to college? How am I going to afford to make sure that they um, have everything that they need to grow, to be strong and, and great, kind kids um, when I'm not getting paid for a lot of the time that I need to get paid or when I'm putting a huge stress on my employer. Um, so I think that's probably the thing that worries me the most. Yeah, that's a lot. And I think you're saying <laughs> things that a lot of people, as you're saying, are experiencing this year together. Um, things they experience in normal times, but just have sort of an extra layer of right now. Yes. On your best days of parenting, what is it that reassures you about getting your boys through this time and about their future? What gives you hope for them growing up? I think it's a really great question. In 1979, um, a couple months before I was born, um, Three Mile Island happened, which um, was a um, big disaster um, of uh, radioactive proportion. <laughs> and my mom has talked to me a lot about how when she was pregnant with me and after I was born, how worried she was. Like the news was so concerning to her. The state of the environment was scary to her. Everything was huge and hard and difficult. Um, and then on top of that, like she had a very unsupportive partner. She was divorced very young. And then she was somehow raising me alone, sending me to daycare, you know, really being an amazing mom, um, but having to grapple with really difficult stuff. And a lot of times without any support from family or, um, or a partner. And it gives me incredible amounts of hope to know that my mom made it through that. Um, she is just such a bright spot in my life. And, um, and I turned out okay. <laughs> so like there, it seems to me that like every, you know, grandparent will probably tell you what they remember struggling with. I'm sure my own grandmother can remember how hard it was when my mom was born in the 50s of what kinds of things she struggled with. You know, there were no disposable diapers at the time. There was not as good formula. There's just, you know, limited support for women then too. And um, not to mention all kinds of other diseases that we've now really tackled. So it gives me a lot of hope to know, like my mom made it through, my grandmother made it through. Generations of, of, um, of women have really struggled and we are all still in this together. Like they've made it through and, and our kids are okay. Like I'm okay. My kids are going to be okay. If I can just um, make it through one step at a time, the way that my mom did and um, that, you know, we're all going to get to the other side. It just takes time. And when we look back on it, we'll be like, whew, man, we were awesome. <laughs> we were awesome. And we did it. And we raised these, you know, amazing kids during a struggle um, you know, we, we made our, our parents really proud. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. So Kate, um, thank you for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about your family, how many children you have and ages. Sure. So I have two kids. I have a 19 year old Alexander, um, who's in college 
And then I have an eight-year-old, Nico, Nikolai, but we call him Nico, um, N-I-K-O, that um, is in third grade and he's eight. So the last 18 months have been full of uncertainty. What kinds of things have been worrying you with respect to your children? Yeah, so I guess I should also tell you that I have a husband. So my partner uh, and I have been pretty worried at different times. Um, We had a sort of a unique situation. Our older son was in high school, his senior year, when the pandemic started. And he was... um, He got all of his credits done early and he went um, for a year abroad in France. And so for us, having a kid who wasn't even in the country when the pandemic started was a little weird. Um, And the embassy had really pushed us to bring him back home. But the more we looked at it from a public health aspect, there was no testing. There was no, uh, you just couldn't get, you didn't know what we were dealing with in terms of how sick he was potentially going to get. And we knew we were going to send him through a couple hot spots, being Paris and New York, before we could even get him home. And so for us, we decided to, uh, his father, my, my ex-husband and I, and, and my, my current husband, we all decided as a family just to leave him there because it was safer than trying to bring mm-hmm. him home. And then for our eight-year-old, um, who was then seven, because he was still in um, first grade, um, it was hard because he was knowing about all the stress from this his brother not being here, you know, he was home. And so we had tried to make it like a summer camp where he was the only camper and we were like the camp counselors. I mean, we were trying to make it so it wouldn't be stressful for him because we didn't want him to take on too much pressure of people, you know, dying um, because he was so little. Um, And I thought that we had kind of nailed it we got a pool for this, like we'd never had an above ground pool. Like we got a pool for the backyard because we couldn't go anywhere. So he could have some exercise. He's high risk. So activities with friends were pretty much out. And, um, and so it was really kind of like a lonely summer, but I thought that we'd kind of nailed it until, um, when we had, they were, they were talking about going back to school back in the fall of 2020. And, um, and he said, well, I want to talk to, I want to talk to the people who make decisions. So he met the school board. I want to, I want to ask them, why are they, why are they making it so kids like me could potentially, you know, could die? And I was like, what? And he was like, well, why would they send us back into school if they know that we could get sick and die? He's like, or what about my teacher? What if my teacher gets sick for me and she dies? And I was like, Wow. Wow. Like so much for nailing this because, <laughs> you know, for him being eight and being, we, we thought we were doing great. We thought we were making this fun. We were having all these activities. We, we even used our highlights magazines on a regular basis to like build in some summer curriculum for him to be reading and to practice and do fun things. And we did the activities like we, we tried to cobble together this experience that wouldn't be so stressful. And in the end, he was still very, very aware of what was going on and very, very aware of the danger. And, um, and it kind of took the wind out of me and, and out of my husband. Cause we were like, Whoa, like, how did he know? Well, how couldn't he have known? Right. This is all so strange. And so we've tried to then pick really say like, 
with limited risk, like an activity that he really wants to do, right? An outdoor activity where adults are vaccinated, like his best friend's birthday party. But even that turned into a COVID scare. And so for a kid to then turn around and say, why is it that when I always get to do this really fun thing that something bad happens immediately afterwards? Like, how do you, ref- how do you reframe that? So that's been kind of a worry that you don't want him to think that like all these great things, like this great time that he had at this birthday party was then overshadowed by this concern and then the need to go and do, a- to go and do a test, right? Um, for, you know, kid, which isn't, it's not much fun to do the tests, but to have to go and do the test afterwards, um, it, it kind of puts a cloud over that. And so we're trying to find that balance between it's really important to monitor his mental health and how is he feeling and give him space to talk, but also he needs space to be able to be an eight-year-old, right? Like kids need other time to be around other kids. And so we've kind of found like we have to do an activity with another kid at least once a month. So we're not out of this yet as your story so beautifully illustrates. And the challenge is identifying the manageable risks. What are you doing now to um, feel hopeful? What are you doing to help your child feel optimism and to help you feel like everything's going to be okay? One of the individuals in our neighborhood, she's a a neighborhood matriarch, um, had a gardening program. And so this gardening program, then she was able to move on to Zoom. And so we did an online Zoom gardening class. And this was sort of like a stand-in for science in my mind, like, okay, we're now all homeschoolers. I've never done this before. Um, And so he joined this gardening class and the gardening class was focused on the historic Black neighborhood that we live in from this area. And people ranged, as she said, from 70 to seven. Now, Nika was the seven-year-old, and most of the other people were more towards 70-year-olds. But everybody was trying to do gardening. And part of this was really helpful because it allowed us to literally dig in and do something tangible. And there's nothing more hopeful than putting a seed in the ground and watching it come to fruition. He was able to actually grow enough to actually take to the Bronzeville Growers Market, which is a market here in our historic neighborhood, um, focused on Black farmers and local farmers from the area. So he was able to go and his brother got him on selling lemonade because that was a big hit for him when he was a kid and then selling his vegetables. And so it was quite amazing. We've lived in this neighborhood now a decade. So this has been the place that he's always lived. He's never lived anywhere else, right? And that's different than my my older son. We moved around a little bit while I was finishing college. So with my younger son, the fact that he lives in this neighborhood, he is from the historic Near East Side. He is a Black farmer. And for him to be able to engage in that, dig into that, bump into people and they note that they have a compost pile and it turns into a 15 minute conversation about composting that is not being led by the adult. It is literally being led by the eight-year-old who wants to know what kind of nutrients they've put into their soil. I mean, that's not where I expected us to go pre-pandemic, but here we are, right? And it's really a hopeful thing to be part of a community that engages with kids, that, that enriches kids right? 
that really wants to um, pour back into them and support them with their, with you know, with with their well-being, and not just through gardening, but also um, by having those touch bases with adults that are healthy, right? That are within the community because when we bump into them on walks or other places, their first thing that they ask is, "How's your garden going?" Thank Thanks, so Kate, for sharing your story. You have a great day. Thank right, you. Bye bye. Hi, Brian. Thanks for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit about your family and how you've been living during the pandemic? Sure. Um, you know, my wife and I have two kids, a daughter in seventh grade and uh, a son in third. Uh, we've been doing, you know, fairly well once we've got settled in. You know, last summer was a bit rough, but I think we've got into the groove. Uh, the kids are both back in in-person school. Uh, they have a good routine. What right now is worrying you about your kids and their future? Um, like I said, we've adjusted to those sort of day-to-day crises that, you know, we can handle the pandemic is here and we can handle, you know, just the stresses of constant contact and everything. So I am more bothered by things at kind of a global scale. Um, and it sometimes makes me, you know, even feel scared about just the world that we're leaving for our kids. Like, did we even, was it a mistake to have kids sometimes? I I think, you know, when they're going to have to deal with, you know, extreme weather and food shortages and the political and social violence that may come from when resources run low, huge issues of wealth inequality, all that sort of stuff. It's terrifying to think about the worst case scenarios of the future that awaits them. Um, even in some of the better scenarios where they may be sheltered from some of the effects, I worry about what that means for the rest of the world. You know, if our kids are doing okay, is it at the expense of others? Um, you know, it's it's scary outside of the four walls where we live a fairly happy life. Um, and I kind of worry about things and where they're going to be in 10, 20, 30 years and they have their lives of their own. Brian, it's so, um, I feel like it's so vulnerable of you to say that thing that you wonder if it's even right to have had kids. But I also hear that from so many people right now. I think um, it is that so much uncertainty of the future and so many things that we're being told seem hard to tackle from an individual perspective, right? And even though what we're doing as parents is individual. What in the environment of facing all of that gives you hope? Like, what do you think on your best days about those things? Yesterday, I know we've talked about it, you know, my son learned how to ride his bike for the first day and I was so proud of him and everything. And he was so happy. Um, And coming out of that, hearing him talk about his work to get there and, and how he had to get over his fears of falling and he would fall down and he got right back up. And so it's kind of, I guess, this awareness that I see in the kids, um, you know, our daughter in middle school, our son in elementary, and just hearing um, how they speak about their friends and their community and their place in the world. They just care deeply. They want people to be nice and they want to be nice people. And I don't just mean politeness, though there is that. They want the people around them 
to be treated with kindness and respect. They don't want people to be treated as less than. They don't want people to go without. Um, and it's not just my kids. I see it in their friends. I see it in their schools. And so while I have these fears of the future, the fact that they seem to be coalescing around one another, there's this hope and care in, in how they act and how they speak. And it makes me so proud of them. And I, I see good things for the world. Um, in, in, you know, not to get to Whitney Houston, I believe the children are the future sort of thing here, but they give me hope because uh, I see how they treat each other. We too have been buoyed by the kindness and empathy of children, especially in these uncertain times. Their resilience, adaptability, and courage has inspired us. We see it in the letters kids write to us at Highlights. We hear about it when we talk to Highlights families as we did today. The more we lean in and listen to kids, the better we see it and hear it, the better we can learn how to serve them. Thanks again to the parents who shared their stories of parenting in a pandemic with us, their thoughts, their worries, their optimism. We'll be back in January with a whole new season. And remember, we'd love to get your feedback and ideas for this podcast, so I do hope you'll reach out. Thanks, everybody. This podcast is an extension of the book, Dear Highlights, What Adults Can Learn from 75 Years of Letters and Conversations with Kids, available now wherever books are sold. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and please leave a review to help us reach more grown-ups who care about kids. Special thanks to the producer of this podcast, Hilary Bates, and also to our audio engineer, Ted Weckbacher.